Angie and Carly, two moms with two kids and two different types of cancer, lung and breast. They first met back in 2003 as AmeriCorps Promise Fellows in Boston, Massachusetts as struggling college graduates trying to find their way. Fast forward 16 years later, Angie's in Switzerland and Carly's in London, and they find their friendship reunited by cancer. Join these moms as they navigate through what it takes to heal themselves while raising kids in an expat world. I'm just okay. Hey, yeah. So you and Angie met on a podcast, right? Um, no, 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 no. I met her. So this is how I met Jamie. I was listening to a podcast. Like when I first got diagnosed, I was just like, you know, googling everything, and then I found <laughs> her pod. I found uh, you on a podcast with a a woman, and you were telling your story. And I was just like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. like a black woman from Yonkers, and you know, coming out of work from New York, and I was like, she's. And, and, you know, your story is so familiar to mine. I was like, I have to reach out. So then I did. And then, yeah, you contacted right away. And then, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah, that's cool. So it was just like you got you got in touch with her. And uh, there you go. I love that. I'm also from, um, well, I'm from upstate New York. So not like, you know, New York, New York, but upstate. So, yeah, yeah. we've got the yeah. New York thing going on here. Um, yeah, so you guys sort of met. And did you, what happened from there? Obviously, you met and... Yeah. Okay. Well, wait. Let me let me do the formal the formal introduction. I'll do the formal introduction. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Back. <laughs> so, mommy had a little cancer podcast, and today we have an amazing guest on the show, Jamie Jamie Jam, um, who. Hi, Jamie. Yeah, you, you have your own radio station, right? I do. I do. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy to think, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? What do you call your radio station? What's the name of it? So people can find you. The owner and founder of WJMS Radio. We're an internet-based radio station that is dedicated to basically the underdog. We like to focus on artists, entrepreneurs, um, movers and shakers in the community who are making a difference that you never get to hear about because mainstream media is usually focused on other things and other people. Um, So we try to spotlight those individuals and we try to spotlight local artists. Mm Um, we just try to do things a little differently than regular radio stations. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah, we'll put all your, your um, you know, details in the link. Right. So, yeah, people, yeah, people can find you. Yeah, so you and Angie met, and obviously you met me now. Hello. <laughs> so, yeah, what, where did it go from there then? So you met, said, hi, hey, how's it going? And then obviously kept in touch. So we connected and, you know, we, we shared our stories with each other and stuff like that. And, you know, her story is similar to mine and so on and so forth. And we ended up putting ourselves in like a group chat. Um, I think Chris Draft might have done it, but he connected like a group of us together um, who all have, you know, similar stories, but we're all just battling, you know, lung cancer in various different forms. And so we've been in this group chat now for a while, just kind of sharing news with each other. Angie keeps us up to date on like her appointments and stuff that's happening. It's really interesting because she's like across the sea, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like all the stuff she goes through and stuff like that. Um, but we also, we did a show on my station a couple of weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. where all of us just had a roundtable discussion about, you know, black women and cancer. And, you know, we've just been trying to connect any way that we can and, and help each other out and get the, the word out about, you know, the fact that lung cancer is, like the number one killer of men and women and it gets barely any attention because people assume it's a smoker's disease when a lot of us are sitting here as non-smokers with advanced stage lung cancer who are like no not quite 
you know, so it's, it's, we've just been connecting and trying to work with each other as much mm -hmm. as we can in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's something I had mentioned to Angie today, actually, that um, obviously I, I had breast cancer or what have you, and breast cancer gets quite a lot of publicity and, yeah. you know, a lot, yeah. a lot to go with it. And it's always in the news or what have you, but, you know, I, <laughs> I personally think that there, <laughs> I personally think that lung cancer should be obviously we focus on all cancers on our podcast but um you know lung cancer to me actually I think is really important because it's underfunded and obviously having met Angie again you know are we connected with her going through it again for me it's really important actually to have more people with lung cancer speaking out on our podcast just because I want to make that difference um we want to make that difference Angie don't we yeah yeah, we want to yeah. out there um yeah. So, yeah. So your story. So when yeah, were you dying? Yeah. Tell about. our audience a little bit about your, your story. I don't know you as well as Angie does. So you're going to have to kick it from, you know, back in the day. I have various versions of my story. How much time do we have? <laughs> yeah, we try to keep it. We're trying to keep it under an hour. That's that's been our our, our goal now. So, you know. <laughs> that helps me we do try <laughs> I skip a couple things glaze over some other things but um so I was diagnosed in December of 2018 uh totally out of the blue I had barely been in the hospital before I'd never even spent the night in the hospital and my first time I spent six days in the hospital with a chest tube um they ended up taking out two and a half liters of fluid from my left lung, um chest area like lung capacity area and mm -hmm. it was, it was just, it threw my life into a 180 tailspin, to be honest with you, because I'm, I have no history of cancer in my family. I am a non-smoker. I've never smoked. Um, in fact, I try to stay away from smoke as much as I can. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, I was just like, I went into the hospital with what I thought was a little cough or a wheeze, um, something that was, you know, minor, never in my wildest themes and thoughts did I think that it was going to come up to be lung cancer and stage four, no less. So um, December of 2018, right before Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas, I found out that I had some form of cancer. Um, you know, they weren't sure what it was just yet, but they knew that the fluid that they pulled was, it tested malignant. And then they also did a biopsy on that lung that was um, sort of collapsed and found some spots and some stuff like that. So I knew that there was something brewing in there, but I didn't know what it was. And then and how long did that how long did that process take actually so when they they sort of told you that because like with angie's story like it took her ages to kind of you know get to yeah, the stage and sort of yeah so for starters yeah. i mean i went in there um i got i i put it off originally like mm -hmm. i i went to a doctor first and you know he he was like hey i think you have asthma or allergies he gave me an inhaler and he sent me on my way and i was like okay mm -hmm. and then i got i went back to him again two weeks later and i was like your inhaler is not helping. And he was like, okay, I'll write you a script for a cough suppressant that ought to help you. And so he wrote me a script for that. And I was like, okay, I'm clearly not going to get any help from this guy. And so I just kind of, you know, kept on about my life and doing what I was doing. And then I finally went and got a second, a second opinion. Um, and I made the appointment in September and they finally saw me, like it took about two months or so. Cause as a new patient, you know, they always push you out as mm -hmm. far as they can. But yeah. um, so I went and got a second opinion. And when I went in there, you know, the first thing he asked me was, did I have an x-ray? And I was like, no, I didn't have an x-ray at all. And he was like, okay, well, I was treating at NYU. And so if you know NYU, everything is contained within that building. So he was like, all right, I'm going to send you upstairs to get an x-ray. And then you're going to come back down here and we're going to talk about it. And I said, okay. So I went upstairs, got my x-ray, came back down, sat down, was in the office, just, you know, like waiting for him to come back in. And I'll never forget the look on his face. It was like all the blood had drained and he was just like, are you feeling okay? And I'm like, yeah, 
It's like, I'm tired, <laughs> but I'm, I was like, I'm always tired. So I'm like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I feel fine. Why? And he was like, you know, your entire left lung is covered in fluid. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And he showed me the x-ray and I couldn't even believe it. And so from there, he was like, well, we can't tell if it's, and he's like, I really need to admit you to the hospital right now. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, yeah, stop. <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready. I was like, I got animals. I have stuff to take care of. I have a whole radio station. I have an event on Saturday. Like this was a Wednesday. I was like, I have an event Saturday. My husband or, you know, boyfriend, fiance at the time is flying off to Korea on Saturday as well. And my cat just went into the hospital today. I was like, I need a day or two to get myself together. <laughs> I was like, I'm not ready. For this. Yeah. It's like, whatever this is, is going to have to wait a couple of days. And so um, he's like, well, in the meantime, let me send you for a CT scan so we can figure out, you know, if this is fluid or if it's, if it's a mass. And I was like, okay. So I went and I got that done. Fast forward to Saturday. I went through all the stuff I had to go through on Saturday. Sunday, went I went to work. On Saturday? Yeah. Well, the event actually got canceled. And between you, me and the wall, I was so happy because I really wasn't feeling well. At that point, I think it was like one of those things where like your body's like, okay, warning. Automatic a little bit like, okay, we're good. Yeah. 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 So I wasn't, I really wasn't feeling well. And so Saturday I went through everything I needed to do. I sent him off to the airport. Um, my cat came home. And so Sunday I went to work and I really felt bad on Sunday. And I was like, let me call the doctor and see what the results were for my cat, my CT scan. Cause I just was like, I don't feel good. So he was like, yeah, we looked at that. He's like, you need to get into the hospital ASAP. And I was like, okay. And so my best friend is like, so you're going to go, right? You're going to go tomorrow. I'm going to come up and we're going to go tomorrow. And I was like, Yes. Okay. I'm going, I'm going. And so I went into the hospital on Monday, December 10th, and I had a, a chest tube put in that same day. It took them 72 hours to drain all the fluid out. And it was like a gravity drain type thing. So I was hooked up yeah. to a machine that would like, it's very unpleasant. Um, and so I, that took me about three days while they were they're pulling the um, fluid they did a biopsy or they did a, they tested the fluid. They found that it was malignant. So they came back and they told me that. And I was like, malignant. I'm like that, that means cancer, doesn't it? Mm. And they were like, yeah, um, we're going to figure out what that is though. And I was like, okay. Like, I'm just kind of sitting in my hospital bed. Like they have to, they must've gone to the wrong room. It couldn't have been me. Mm. Um, and so I think the next day, uh, after they finally got all the fluid out, my lung never fully reinflated. And so they were like, we want to do a biopsy on it. And so they did a biopsy. Um, and then they came back like a day or two later. Um, and like the day of my discharge, they told me that I had lung cancer. And I was just like, um, what? And I had no idea what was going on. Then all of a sudden, it was like a flurry of appointments. I had an oncologist all of a sudden and like a pulmonologist and all these people. And I was just like, I haven't even really processed the fact that you just told me that I have lung cancer. Like, I don't know what's really happening right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it only really, really from, from hospital admittance to diagnosis, it took me about six days to learn that I had cancer. And then it took a week from the biopsy. I didn't know what kind, I didn't know what it was. They hadn't, you know, termed me as hadn't alpha, you, right? like that. Yeah. yeah, they didn't stage me at all. And so I was like, you know, curious. I'm like, nobody mentioned the word stage to me whatsoever. So I literally walked out of my appointment with my oncologist a day or two later, like thinking I had some mild form of cancer and everything was going to be fine. And they were going to do something and I was going to be good to go. Mm-hmm. Like nobody told me, nobody told me at all. And I remember the day I went in because I, I happened to get this diagnosis right at the holiday time. And, you know, doctors go on holiday with their family during yeah. Christmas and New Year's. Like, yeah. so I was like right before New Year's, um, I started getting shortness of breath again. And so I panicked and I was like, oh my God, it's happening again. And so I was like, I reached out to the pulmonologist because my doctor was on vacation already. 
And so I reached out to my pulmonologist and he's like, come in, I'll take a look, we'll do an x-ray, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. So I came back in and I remember I was sitting in the office and he walked in and I was like, and I was like, you know, I'm just, I have shortness of breath again. So I'm just worried. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, with stage four cancer, this is going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was right. like, what did you just say? And he was like, yeah, stage four cancer. Did any, he's like, nobody, nobody told you that it's stage four. And you guys, I burst out into tears. I've never burst into tears in my life. I burst into tears in that doctor's office because I just, mm. nobody told me that it was stage four. And to find out like that all nonchalantly was just like, mm. like a roundhouse to my stomach and an uppercut mm. to my jaw. Like, I just felt like someone had knocked me out and I was on the floor. I didn't know what the heck was going on. And so I just was crying. I was just and I was by myself. That was the other thing. I was literally alone. I just went to that appointment to get a scan. I didn't think of any, I wasn't thinking, you know, mm. that I was going to get any life altering news, you know? And so I, I got that news that it was stage four. And I remember like, I must've been in shock because I literally just got back on the train and went back to work. And I just was like, went back to work like nothing happened. And I walked in the front door of my job and my friend, my, my work wife <laughs> at work, she looked at me and she was just like, are you okay? And I was just like, no, I'm not okay. I'm not okay at all. And so she was like, do you want to talk about it? And I was like, I think I do. Yeah. I think I really, I need to. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, I'm going to meet you. She's like, I'll meet you downstairs. Blah, blah, blah. So she came and she saw me. And I like just fell in her arms and started crying. And I was just like, it's stage, it's stage, this is stage four. Yeah. You know, and I just remember just crying. And that was it. She was the first person to see me bawl like that. Like I, I usually am very private about my crying. Um, but she was, I, I literally just let it all out in her arms that day, you know? And I remember she just was like, I'm so sorry. Like, what can you really say to somebody yeah, that tells yeah, you that, yeah. you know? But it was just, yeah. So, yeah. so that was a very long-winded way to answer your question. It really only took about two weeks no, to get the full diagnosis of, of stage four L positive. Yeah. And I think um, I think it was a great way to sort of, you know, share your story. And it, it sounds like from early on, like uh, probably similar to myself, actually, you just said, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just let me get let me get my ducks in a row and then I'll come back to you. You know, when you first had your initial appointments, like with your cat and all that sort of stuff. And then yeah, I um, think she froze. Oh yeah, I think she froze, yeah. Um, we have you. Are you there, Jamie? Jamie James. Jamie James, oh, yeah. Maybe. maybe you stop recording and then okay. it'll be less to edit maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so Jamie, um, so it sounds like initially when you, um, we're first uh, sort of Wait, in the diagnosis stage. Pause. We're just going to resume, actually. So the question, yeah. so obviously, Jamie, when you first went to the doctors and you said, oh, I've got this event going on and so on and so forth, um, it reminded uh, me of, you know, when I was diagnosed, I was like, well, let me get all my ducks in a row and then I'll come back to you. Because, you know, I'm just a youngster here. I'm only, I mean, you were only 31, weren't you? You were saying yeah, it like- 32, yeah. We're 32. 32. Yeah, so you're saying it like a typical 32 year old would say, you know, let me sort this out, let me get there, and then I'll come back to you. Because I mean, yeah. I mean, I did the same thing. I did the exact same thing, and um, probably at that time, you know, your doctor probably wasn't used to like typical lung cancer patients speaking like that, were they? Because oftentimes lung cancer patients are older, and they're also men as well, so they might not be having all these, yeah. you know, these various yeah. things on the go. Um, so that kind I'm of on resonates. the opposite actually, because. Like my same thing, like I had, you know, so much fluid in my, uh, my left lung and my then pulmonologist, um, 
was like, oh, okay, you know, we did these scans. You have like fluid in your lungs. Uh, we're not quite sure what it is. So why don't you go home and come back <laughs> okay. in five days? Because like they had a conference or something uh, there. And then, you know, well, she, he was like, we'll let you get all your things, you know, like get ready and stuff so you can admit yourself to the hospital. And then hmm. for me, you know, trusting, you know, doctors not knowing what's going on. I'm just like, yeah, sure. You know, I, and at this point, I'm like, like, you know, I feel like crap. And I'm just like, you know, mm. I can't breathe. I've got an oxygen tube, a machine tied to me 24-7, all of this. So I go home. And mm. that night, I felt like, first of all, I didn't sleep the whole night. And then I felt like, okay, I am going, like, if I go to sleep, I might not wake up. Like I was, I, I and then I went to the, the osteopath the next day and he was like, you should not be here. If you don't go to the hospital, I'm going to call you an ambulance and you need to. And I went and then like the nurse, when I got there, the nurse looked at my scans and she was just like, you had no business being home. Like this is an emergency situation. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And they took liters of fluid out of my lungs. And I was just like, wow. And he just sent me home. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I would have started a very distrustful relationship with me and my doctor. I would have been like, I can't trust a word you say to me. Like, you sent me home. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And like, obviously, Jamie's doctors have like a sense of urgency. And she's like, no, wait, I've got to do this, this, and this. And obviously, yeah. you know, that's the that's sort of the difference. And I think oftentimes in different levels of cancer care and, and anything, really, you see the disparities, don't you? Where what could be an emergency necessarily wasn't and, and what have you. So yeah, it is very. Like a lot of times, you know, people don't even die because of the cancer. They die because of like, you know, negligence, <laughs> side effects, the, like just all these, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But so, but so where, when you, you know, got diagnosed and you got the fluid out of your lungs and then they said, so then like, when did the treatment start? So I waited a month between the fluid drains and starting my treatment because I, 32, just got married. I don't have any kids. I was, you know, trying to do it the right way. Wait until I get married and have kids and all that because I saw my friends be baby mamas and I was like, I'm not trying to go through that. Um, and so I was waiting until I got married to have kids. And so I finally got myself a husband and then, you know, a couple of weeks later I get the diagnosis. Um, and so before I started my treatment, I went through the process to freeze my eggs um, just so I can make sure that later on down the line, I, I had the ability to have kids. Uh, one way mm -hmm. or another. So um, because that's still really important to me. So I didn't start treatment. Actually, three days ago was my two year anniversary. I started treatment on January 22nd after I finished my my fertility, um, you know, procedures and all that kind of stuff. I started. Can, the next can you day. talk through us through that? Like what, what that entailed and what you had to do? First of all, yeah, it's and, can you, and can you and also know whether or not your doctor brought that up with you as well? Because sometimes doctors don't mention that to patients. So I'm just curious as to whether or not they mention the options with you, really. Um, I, I feel like I brought it up because I knew that like having a, a kid for me was very important. Um, and so getting this cancer diagnosis, like, and I had a friend of mine, a friend of the family who pretty much grew up as, is almost like a cousin to me, um, like a mom's best friend's daughter type situation. So uh, she passed away from breast cancer maybe a year or two before that. So hearing that I had cancer automatically sent me into this spiral of, O-S-H-I-T, this is the same thing that happened to my friend, uh, you know, like, and I'm just kind of panicky. So I remember she kind of fast forwarded or fast tracked her life because she was uh, late stage breast cancer. 
Um, and mm -hmm. she actually succumbed to it, you know, really quickly um, throughout everything that was going on. But she, you know, got married really quickly, went through the process to have a surrogate, had a baby and all that. So she was able to see her child before and then she passed away pretty quickly mm -hmm. after the baby was born. But mm -hmm. I, I just kind of, you know, panicked a little bit in my own mind. It was like, oh my God, well, I still want to have kids. Do I need to do the same thing? Like, you know, and so I brought it up to my doctor and I was just like, what does this mean for me having children? And they were like, oh, well, you can't. And I was like, like what do you, can you elaborate? Like, what do you mean? You just, I just can't. And he was just like, well, you can't have a baby while you're taking medication. You can't like the side effects or the medication would mess with the fetus. So they were like, you can't get pregnant while you're taking your medication. And this is and medication for life. Yeah. And you're going to be on medication for the rest of your right. life. So you can't. And I was just like, <sighs> like, it just didn't compute. I was hmm. like, no, no, that doesn't make sense. Like the rest of my life, I have to be on medication. I went from being somebody that maybe took a chewy vitamin every now and then, or like a Flintstones vitamin, <laughs> take medicine every day. I'm like, that's not me. Like that's, that's right. not supposed to be what my story says. Like, I don't understand Like none of this makes any sense. Um, and so I went through this whole process with kind of like this idea of like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, how is this happening? I don't, I don't get it. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything. Like I was myself, my own worst. I was like, but I didn't smoke. Like, how do I have lung cancer? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I was my own, my own <laughs> worst advocate. But um, so I went in and I asked the doctor, he said, no, you can't. And I was just like, I need another opinion. Like, <laughs> I just mm. believe that. And so I was like, I, cause I was treating with NYU at the time and I had an MSK Memorial Sloan Kettering doctor kind of in my back pocket a little bit, knew mm. some people that knew some people. And so I had another doctor that I called and I was like, Hey, what's the deal with, with getting pregnant um, while you have cancer? And he was just like, we usually tell most women not to do it. And I was just like, well, you know, what if like I, I finish on my medication, you know, like what if like everything is good? He's like, if you get pregnant and you have cancer, normally women die within the first year of having birth, of giving birth because you can't take your medication while you're, you're, you know, growing a baby inside of you. Mm -hmm. So the cancer just runs rampant. And so you, you literally take a year off on your medication and most women die within a year after giving birth. And I was just like, and so I was like, all right, like, uh, well, I'm going to freeze my eggs then because I'm like, my only other option is to have a surrogate mother or something. Like I, I want right. to, I was like, one of the things I'm like, I refuse to leave this planet without having a baby. I have always wanted to be a mother. I've like, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be a mom. And I think I'd be a pretty dope mom, to be honest with you. <laughs> yes, so I'm like, I really want to have a baby. So I'm like, that was important to me. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go through this process and this procedure. And it's expensive and they do not cover it, which I find to be complete and total BS um, because right. I could see if like, you know, you were somebody who just opted, you know, to, to, you know, freeze your eggs for no reason. You know, if you were perfectly fine and you had no reason. Um, but the yeah. fact is I was doing this because I got a diagnosis, mm -hmm. you know, it's related, directly related to the cancer diagnosis and insurance right. doesn't, cover it. it's totally, it's an elected surgery it's like cosmetic surgery to them it's not covered mm. um and so I had to pay that full cost out of pocket which was about nine grand um mm. and that's a lot of money to come up with like most yeah. people don't have nine grand laying around I certainly didn't um credit cards mm. are a gift and a curse mm. um you know but I was like I was determined I was like I need to free I need this to happen and I have a very short window to make it happen because I need to start my medication so I'm like whatever moves I need to make need to happen like tomorrow Mm. So 
So you were um, able to freeze all your eggs like on the first go? So it's a process. Um, what happens is you have to you have to make an excess amount of eggs. Like normally women make, you know, a few one or two. <laughs> yeah, you know, you make a few every month or whatever. It's yeah. it's not a it's not a big thing. But when you're trying to go through this process of fertilization, you're making like a lot, a whole heap of them. Mm-hmm. So you're I had to give myself um daily injections, which was hard, first of all, because I've never had to give myself a shot. I was like, oh my God. So I'm in the house, right? This is the funny story. I like to tell the <laughs> Um, so I'm in the house and like they give you the syringe and it's two shots actually. So I'm like, okay, so I have two shots to give myself. All right. And they're like, pinch your pinch your fat and they're like, and then just, you know, stab it in there and and give yourself a medication. I'm like, pinch your fat, like like it's some some easy process. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right. So I did the first one. It took me, it took me a solid 30 minutes, mind you, 30 minutes mm. in my house, squeezing my stomach fat, like, <laughs> <sighs> like I just <laughs> I couldn't do it, right? And I right, had yeah. with me, my, I remember my guy at the time was gone already to Korea. I was in New York and all of my family's either in Philly or in Massachusetts. So I'm by myself and I'm like in the house, my cats are looking at me like, the hell is she doing? And I'm just like, oh, I can't do this. And I'm like standing there holding my fat, trying to like figure out how I'm gonna do this. So I finally take the first shot. And I'm like, oh, okay, that wasn't terrible. Like it stung and it, it, it wasn't pleasant, but I was like, okay, cool. All right, I did it. Now I got to do the second one. And I was like, mm. the second one, the second one was the doozy. The second one, the needle was like this long. And I'm oh, like, wow. it was terrible. And so that second one, I almost fell out on my kitchen floor. Mm. Um, mm. But you had to do it every single day and you had to do it at the same time every single day because you had, it's wow. like a like you have to create the you have to inject yourself with hormones and whatever to make enough eggs so that when you go in for the procedure finally they have enough to harvest so I did that for probably about two or three weeks and then what happens is there's a booster shot or a trigger shot I think they call it a trigger trigger shot shot, which is the one that like signals your period to start Mm -hmm. um and so you take the trigger shot and you have I believe 24 hours to get your procedure done. Because if you take the trigger shot and you don't have your appointment, you'll have your period and all of those eggs will be gone. And you have to do it all over again. So I got the trigger shot and I did that one. And then I went in and I had my procedure and the procedure was pretty painless. Like you go to sleep for it. So I went to sleep um, and I forgot to tell you guys every week, by the way. Oh, that's what I'm saying. sections of my story, I'm sorry. So back to me me taking the shots right every week I had to go and get an ultrasound and it's a terrible ultrasound it's like an internal ultrasound so it was like oh yeah okay yeah it wasn't on the belly with the jelly yeah like an internal ultrasound and it was pretty unpleasant um and they only had appointments for that between 6 a.m and 8 a.m Monday And that's awful because if you live far away, you have from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. to get there. That's your window and that's it. So for me, I had to get up at like four in the morning every week and like get on the train first thing in the morning, go down there, get there, stand in line because you don't have an appointment. It's a first come first serve basis. And the closer you wait to 8 a.m., the more people are in line. It could take you anywhere from an hour to five depending on like mm-hmm. how many people are registered or in this line, you know, and you have to be there by eight or your registration deadline is cut off. You can't come in after that, but they will take you no matter how many people are there, they'll yeah. take you straight through, but you can't register after 8am. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
You could oh, be wow. there from anywhere. I could get there. If I got there at six in the morning, I'd be out by 645. If I got there at 730, I'd be out by noon. <laughs> it was wow. wow. So it was a big so, window. Yeah. So I had to do that every single week, which was awful. And then it was a matter of like, you know, going home, giving yourself the shot and all that. And then I finally did the trigger <laughs> shot. I went in for the procedure. Right. And I was like, this is the part that really got me. Right. I was in the waiting room. And I met this group of women and they were all really nice. And we were hyping each other up like, you know, you're so beautiful. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I met a woman who had been there like three times. And I'm like, girl, you must be rich because this is like a grand a pop. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. how have you been doing this three times? Um, but she had been through there three times. Like this was her last time. So we were like just praying for her and speaking. Like we were literally like, you know, when you're, you know, drunk in the bathroom at a club and you meet a bunch of girls and like, you're always <laughs> like, you're so beautiful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you tell your whole life story yeah okay yeah. You know, so we like exchange we were gonna exchange phone numbers and keep in touch and I was like you know keep in touch like let's let's connect and blah blah, blah. And we were like I walked out of there thinking like oh my gosh I met girlfriends this is nice like blah 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 and then I was in the I woke up from the procedure they put us in the recovery room or whatever they give you your crackers and all that stuff um and I like gave my phone number to the ladies I was like because I gave my number to all the ladies or whatever before we left the the operating room and yeah. none of them have called me. Not one of them. Nobody texted me. Nobody reached out to me. I'm telling you, we made a connection in that wow. in that room. And I thought yeah. that we were going to connect with each other. And none of them reached out to me. And I was like, wow. I got like ghosted in the in the waiting room. I was so upset. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. The procedure, the procedure itself went well. Um, I think I I had about 25 eggs, and I think they harvested like 14 or 15 of them. Oh, wow. So that means I had 14 or 15 opportunities. I don't have that kind of money, but I have 14 or 15 opportunities yeah. to, to potentially, um, you know, either have a surrogate or if God willing, I can make it happen, um, have the baby myself. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you obviously, um, you went through quite a lot throughout that process and obviously how, how were you feeling at the time? It must've been quite hard, I would think. I was really resentful, to be honest with you, because it's like, mm. I had plenty of opportunities to have a baby. Like I could have right. just, yeah. you have boyfriends, you have, you know what I mean? Like plenty of time, yeah. you just been like, oh, you know, oh, we're having a baby. And I always made sure I played it safe. I always like, I did mm. the right thing. You know, all of my girlfriends are like having babies now and even then and stuff like that. And it was so bittersweet because like, you know, even yeah. some of them that like are not even, that don't even want to have kids that are just like, oh, pregnant mm. again. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean like yeah, yeah. Pregnant. um and so for me it was there was a little bit of resentment there I'm not gonna lie I'm not gonna sugarcoat and pretend like everything was roses and sunshine mm -hmm. there's a little bit of resentment because I want to have a baby and like I felt like somebody threw a monkey mm -hmm. wrench in my whole picket fence reality that I had going for myself and so it was hard to get through that it was hard to get through it alone um, you know, and it was, it was one of those things where I'm glad I did it because I know, at least I know now that mm -hmm. if down the line, it comes to that point, I'm able to do it. And they're stored, I believe for five years for free. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm actually, I'm like two years into this. I probably better get a move on actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I also, yeah, I also have put it out to my, my Facebook groups that I'm in the L positive groups. And I asked if there were any women on there who had gotten pregnant and brought a baby full term while on Alicenza or on the medication that I'm taking. And a lot of people reached out to me and were like, yeah, absolutely. I've had two babies on this medication. And had okay. Really? Yeah. But they're on a reduced dose. Like I'm on a, I'm on 600 milligrams twice a day. 
they're on, I think they're on a reduced dosage. So I feel like if I get to the point where I've got, and I only have one main tumor left on my left-hand side. If I get to a point where that tumor is either cut out and removed or, um, you know, God willing, I'm Ned, <laughs> that would be wonderful. There's a possibility <laughs> that if I take my medication dosage down, I could still have a baby naturally and do it myself. Mm. Um, okay. So that's kind of that's kind of my frame of thinking right now and where I'm thinking or where I'm trying to go. Um, mm. what I'm hoping and praying for, you know, because I mean, obviously I can get pregnant on my own. I don't, I don't have to use the eggs that I frozen. I could stop my birth control and get pregnant at any time. You know, like that was yeah. the thing that got me is like, as I'm in all these ultrasound appointments, like, yep, your, you know, uterus is great. Your fallopian tubes are wonderful. You, you're making a great amount of eggs. You're totally healthy. And I'm like, shut up. Like, you're <laughs> yeah. really not helping me right yeah. now. You know, yeah. like basically yeah. you couldn't have a baby at any time, girl. You're good to go. Um, mm. But yeah. that's you my hear plan. So many, you hear so many stories, well, in our groups of, you know, women who were just like, just shocked. Mm. That, like, wait a minute, like, they can't have kids. And, you know, they weren't told that, you know, once you start taking the medication, then it's a wrap. Like, you know, yeah. there are no studies that are being done. And, you know, and so, you know, the fact that I made sure I asked. You, yeah, that you were able to educate yourself, like, kudos to you, you know, for doing that. Because, yeah, cool. I mean, I definitely agree because I know I've, I've heard of lots of people not not being asked or what have you and it's one of those things you think it's not something you can take back really is it so um it's really not it's really not right and I mean if an oncologist or whoever is doing the treatment is not asking that question um you know now is a time to do so perhaps you know listening to Jamie's story will you know put that person in the right direction um but there are quite a few people that don't have that so it's I'm pleased that they've asked you that and um also understand at the same time that it's you went through a very a very challenging experience um, processing lung cancer, um, your diagnosis, and then also um, you know sort of the loss trying to put of your not having the bigger picture perfect what you wanted yeah. yeah yeah and I think I mean you really tapped into Jamie how you know in life you kind of go down this path and you, you know you want things to happen and so on and so forth and um and then um all of a sudden cancer strikes or what have you. And then you just have to kind of say, wait, wait a minute. Is this me? Is this really happening? Like, is this a movie? Yeah. Like really? Um, and um, obviously you've, um, you've done what you needed to do. Oh, wait, which, hold on, which sorry. Is um, Zoom is telling me I have less than a minute. I thought Zoom was, was giving you unlimited um, time. It should. It should Not just kick in and be like, this thing is unlimited. Yeah, no, it should actually. I've got less than a minute left. So if we get kicked out, then I will have to- Just log back in. Okay. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, I I get kicked out quite often, Angie. So that's okay, isn't it? (laughs) That's a joke. Um, um, So, um, yeah, so I guess, you know, for like in in my experience, my oncologist asked me um, about, you know, what I was doing like family-wise or what have you. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I didn't really even think about it when I was diagnosed with cancer. Like, you know, you just, um, you know, the future planning, like the goals and the dreams and all that sort of a things that sort of come to play. What about you, Angie? Like when you, all of a sudden you get this diagnosis because it took you a while. And then yeah. um, all of a sudden you, all your goals and dreams just sit right in front of you, don't they? And you just start thinking, you just don't yeah, believe so my, it. My, no? they, they wheeled me, you know, by the time I got, you know, my diagnosis, they had dropped the ball so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, like, cause the whole time they were telling me it's not cancer, it's not cancer. And then buff, it's mm. like, 
stage four cancer. And so by this time, they're just like, okay, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that. You know, you get the appointment with the gynecologist. And, you know, she was asking me about my family planning and, you know, if I wanted another kid and, you know, if I wanted to postpone the treatment for a month, so I do exactly what you mm. did, Jamie, to freeze my eggs. And, you know, I've had experience um, with egg freezing and all of that, you know, um, fertility stuff. I can talk about it another um, eventually. But yeah, you mm -hmm. know, and I was just like, you know what? This, like, I was. Cracking Cancer Chit Chat is where we are at, folks. Keeping it real and letting you in on how we really feel. It ain't easy for us, and we hope you never join our cancer team. Know what we mean? But if you or yours do, we're here for you. So check yourself and be the best version of you. It's all, it's all you, you can, can do. do. Bye, okay. Angie. Bye. That, was, that wasn't okay. too bad, actually.